Good morning. So everyone's got a starting point. Uh, the starting point for your romance, uh, there's a starting point for your education, for your career. Uh, but many of us, we kind of move into adulthood and we never have a fresh starting point uh, for faith. Uh, we always kind of bump into this new, this, the, these, these new struggles, these challenges of adulthood. We always pump, bump into them with this old downloaded framework that we kind of picked up along the way. We kind of picked up pieces as we were growing up, different parts of our childhood, different parts of our high school and college years. Uh, we kind of downloaded these simple phrases like God is good or God is angry or God hates evil or different ways that, that we understand God to be. But really, it's when we go to our first kind of crisis moment in our adulthood, that whole framework just kind of falls apart. And we're, we, we kind of move into these understandings of, of adulthood, moving into these understandings of our relationships with this old dusty kind of framework about faith. And so we really need a fresh new starting point um, as we are growing and becoming more like uh, Christ. So in, in, in all things, we really just want to become more like him. So if we are going to engage with that in different ways. Um, real fast, kind of before we bump in, um, I want to just piggyback real fast on the worship night that we have coming up next, month, uh, next week, actually. Uh, we're in this kind of in this phase of, of vision planning and this phase of uh, bec- uh, of trying to figure out what's kind of the next three to five years of our church uh, looks like, and, and man, we're we're so excited about that. We want you to be as well. Um, next Sunday night, what, essentially, what that is is our church come together as a church just to simply say, God, direct us in that. Uh, we want you to be a part of this. We don't want to go if you don't go. We don't want to go where you where you wouldn't have us. And so we want to ask him to uh, uh, do that. So if, we'd love for, to see as many of us here together uh, on next, next Sunday night as we, as we kind of just collectively uh, pray for that. But today we're going to be hanging out in Ephesians 2. If you want to grab your Bibles on your seat, um, Ephesians 2, that's page number 977 uh, on your seat uh, Bible there. If you are new today, um, if you are, or you've been uh, coming, you're newer to our community, uh, man, that's our gift to you if you don't have a Bible uh, that's, that's our gift to you. You want to take that with you and, uh, uh, and go ahead and do that. If you uh, are here each week, uh, don't steal, right? Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't. That's terrible. Don't do that. Anyway, page number 977. At some point in our Christian faith, we, we will, if we're not careful, settle into a bargaining posture with God. How many know what I'm talking about? Um, It's this moment in your life where you're like, God, if you just, I will, right? Um, When I was 14, I really wanted to go to this event on a Friday night. Uh, It was actually on a, it was was Friday night when this happened, Saturday morning. It was a Saturday event, but it was outside. I really wanted to go to this. And I woke up, and the dreaded moment when I woke up, I looked outside, and it was raining, Right? And the event didn't want to go. So I began this moment, this like 30-minute dialogue with God. God, if you loved me, you'd make it stop raining. Right? Like, like, okay. For like 30 minutes, I'm like just going back and forth and trying to figure out how to engage with this, 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 this God that would like let it rain and, and oh my word, I can't believe now we're not going to go to my event. And there's just this back and forth. God, if you just would make it stop raining, then I'll go to church every Sunday after for the next 50 years of my life. Right? I may have been there. Some are like, that's why I'm here today, actually. That's <laughs> that prayer, I'm here today because of that prayer. Um, but we get into these bargaining 
we have these little chips that we kind of offer up to him. And God, if you would pay attention to me, or God, if you would just do kind of give me that promotion or make my marriage feel better, or maybe if you give me some more money so it's not so tight, man, I just would, I'd worship you and I'd love you. And I, or I, mean, I just would be so thankful. Or, okay, we kind of get into these steps. And the major assumption that we're making when we fall into this bargaining posture with God um, is that there is something that we can offer him that would match how he feels about us. We kind of put ourselves at this level with God to say, man, if there's this bargaining kind of way, this is negotiation factor that we can just engage with, we're kind of putting ourselves on this level with him that is saying, hey, you know what? Um, God, if you would just give me that, it would just, it would just make things so much better. But, guess, but when you think about that, that framework doesn't match up in different ways because God doesn't always give those things, does he? We kind of get into these spots where we're like, okay, now what? Well, that didn't happen. That we didn't engage with. But here's the one thing that I know. If, if, you know. We always bounce into all these different things. But the one thing that I've always kind of bumped into as I, as I read the New Testament, as I hang out with people and uh, our friends and family at the church and in different areas, th- there's one thing that I know is that faith isn't a bargain with, but it's a response to. Faith isn't a bargaining with God. It's a response to him. And so for us as a starting point, the starting point for faith is never a set of documents, it's never a group of people. The starting point for faith is always the person and the work of Jesus. And it's believing and trusting him first and then understanding that we respond uh, to him. So um, in Ephesians 2 is really is where we're going to hang out today. The question that we're really trying to figure out then, if it's not a bargain with, but it's a response to what is this whole thing called grace, then? What is this whole thing called grace? If it's a bargain with and not a response to, then our posture with God is going to change something. It's going to change a bit. And that's really what the Bible calls grace. This, this whole foundation of our relationship with God. It starts with this idea of grace. And so the Apostle Paul, he writes this book uh, to uh, this, this book called Ephesians. And this, Paul is this uh, amazing uh, apostle in the first century. He's, just, he's one of the, the leaders of the whole Christian movement, the whole Christian faith. And actually, a lot of people, they call this book Ephesians, but a lot of people think that it was really like a universal letter, that wherever a letter was written to a church, they, they read this letter because it really was the starting point for faith. It really was like an overview of everything that God, um, that, that really, that everything had God, had in, that God had in mind for our faith with him. And so Paul's going to write this, uh, this, this moment, and he's going to introduce us to the whole reality this whole understanding that our relationship with God, our interaction with who he is, that faith is based not off our interaction, but with his interaction. And that's based off grace. And so we're going to pick up here in Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, Paul says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now, now so good, think about that. Thanks, Paul, for the pick-me-up, right? Like, that's encouraging news. I'm reading Ephesians 2. 
to have my cup of coffee, just trying to get my, you know, intera- my, my reading time in. And okay, great, thanks, God. I appreciate that. But all Paul's trying to tell us here is basically this. Hey, 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 we're all jacked up. We're all jacked up. You know the one thing that connects us is that we're all jacked up. We're all, everyone is. Sin is this major thing that we, we, we were all created in God's image, but sin broke everything. And so no matter how much we desperately want people to believe that this doesn't happen within us, or, this, or, or things aren't just kind of a little bit messy, with either within us or around us, outside of us, and around different things, that, that we're all connected by this brokenness called sin. And so we really have to do something with that. If, if we're all kind of in that mess... How do we get out of that mess? And this is where he kind of goes into uh, this really cool swing. Verse four, he says, but God is so rich in mercy. Now, real fast here. You, we kind of lose it in the translation here. But, but when, when Paul's writing in his language, he's saying, when he puts but God there, it's like the equivalent of the Kool-Aid man. Everyone know what I'm talking about? How did the Kool-Aid man come into the, come into the room? And he, he like just drop kicked it, right? But God. Now, it's an awkward laughter because you've never seen a pastor drop kick anything on stage, right? That was a little weird. I get it. But, but here's the thing. He's making this massive statement. He said, okay, we're all jacked up, but God, what, is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. So what is grace? Number one, grace is God being for you. Before ever, ever asking anything from you, we all kind of grew up with that understanding, didn't we sometimes? Like, God certainly just wants stuff from me. He want, God either just wants my money, or the church just wants my money. God just wants my obedience. God just, but way before any of that, God did this. So rich in mercy, that when we were dead in our sins, he gave us a way out of that mess. God's being for you way before he's ever wanting anything from you. He makes this statement that he moves towards you. He's coming after you. He's coming at you. He's wanting to be with you. He's for you first. But, but here's the thing. He says we're all dead because of our sins, and he gave us life. Now, have you ever seen um, a dead man move? No, right? Now, here's the thing. We have some accounts of dead men rising from the dead in the Bible and some other areas as well. Let's, let's just all be honest here this morning. That would all freak us out, right? Everyone, sometimes we like to be holy and think, God, it'd be so cool to see you raise someone from the dead. I don't want to see that, like, all the time. Maybe I'd appreciate it later, but that would be one weird wake, wouldn't it? Like, you're like, thank God for, okay, this is weird. This, I'm just freaked out here. And none of you are laughing at that. Do you, guys, do you like literally think that that would be awesome? Okay, cool. That's amazing. So when you have this understanding that, 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 you, that dead men don't move, here's God's whole approach. Hey, you're in a mess. You're in sin. You're, you're just dead. Hey, would you be able to get up for me? No, right? God's approach to us isn't, hey, could you try a little bit harder? No, no, you're dead. Like, you can't grab up. You can't reach for his hand. You're dead. He's he's looking at you. He's saying, hey, hey, your marriage is falling apart. Could you just try a little bit harder, please? And then I'll come after you, and I'll help. 
hey, like, you, finances are a mess right now. You're just, it feels, hey, could you just pull up your bootstraps a little bit harder? Could you just try a little bit more and then you'll, I'll, I'll be able to pay attention to you. Hey, man, my, your relationships are falling apart. You feel like everything, every time you do anything, every time you interact with anything, or maybe like you just complete, feel like you're completely insecure about something in life. You feel like you just, want your, you just want to be a good person. You're just trying to get your kids raised, doing all this. Or you're just trying to feel like you're engaging with it. And you say, hey, if you could just try a little bit harder, um, then I'd be able to help you out. But you've got to earn it first. No, he says, you're, you're dead. But what does he say? He continues. It says, God being for you gave you life when you were dead. So he's not waiting for you to reach up so that he could pay attention to you. He paid attention to you and he's giving you life. It's a reversal. There's no other system of faith that ever would understand this verse. That God, God came after me first and I respond to him. See, that's why faith is really the starting point of God coming for you. A lot of, here's a, a few other things that we, we kind of have this working knowledge. Um, for, for some of us, we think that karma is the way that this works, that we get what we deserve. Or if you did something at one point, it's going to certainly come back at you in another way. And I've, I talk to even just, just faith-filled believers, Christians that just love God, that just believe that this is the case, and it's not the case. Grace is it. Grace is this thing that you get a gift without ever deserving it. Even mercy, mercy is saying, I'm going to retract something from you that you do deserve. That's why God is saying, in his grace, he does extend mercy. I do deserve this. But God not only retracts it, it's from his grace of saying, I'm going to give you something that you don't even deserve. It's not this idea that it's going to certainly come back and bite you later. God's first statement to you is that he's for you. So what is grace? Grace is uh, God being for us. Grace is also God's glory on display. So we're going to see this continue in verse 6. He says this, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. So that's kind of a long way of saying, you know, he, he kind of looks at you and he's like, hey, you know this mess that you're in? Wait till you see the glory that I get for cleaning this up. I mean, how many, have you, do you have like a season in your life where you call like, man, that was the big mess? Did anyone have any of those? Just me this morning. That's cool. I'm, 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 oh, that's cool. That's fine with that. But like, like the big one. I think like deep down in Christianity, the whole idea of, of following Jesus is that it's in that moment that no one says, hey, this is hopeless. But in fact, at that moment, he's saying, I can't wait to show you what I can do with this. Is it, you know, it's one of, one of the commercials that are on right now that reminds me of this all the time. Um, it's called the Hall of Claims. You know, let's, let's watch one together um, as, uh, as we understand this. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even a coop soup. So beautiful. Beautiful just like you. Oh, 
and we covered it November 6, 2009. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. <laughs> what I love about grace is that that's kind of the idea. He's saying, he's saying, you know what? Look at this wall here. You know what? I'm going to put your picture here. I <laughs> say, man, you know what? There's this one time. There's this one guy. Oh, man, you have no clue how bad that was. But you should have saw the glory that I got from that. See, you guys know your story. We don't all know your stories. You know your story. And you say, no, certainly God can't do anything with that. And he's like, I know a thing or two. I know a thing or two. And I got your picture on my wall. See, it's, this whole understanding of faith is not ours to actually get the glory for. See, what God's doing, as he's, as he's ordering what is chaotic and as, as he is helping you see when, we're, when we feel blind, when he is actually walking with us when we feel alone, he's saying, man, I can't wait to see the glory that I get for that. You, you won't even believe it. And so I don't know where you're at today, but that, for some of us, that's good news because even we don't believe that yet. And so he says, not only is God being for you as he extends grace to you, he's actually getting a whole lot of glory. And when he gets the glory, we get all the benefit, all the joy. And that is just hard to believe, which is why he continues into verse eight where he says, when God saved you, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Remember, remember what he just said. He says, you were dead. You were dead. And God, in his mercy, God, in his grace, he extends towards you and says, hey, I'm going to help you up. I'm going to help you up. So you can't turn around and be like, hey, guys, see what I did? And sometimes as we are maneuvering through our Christian faith and we're in this bargaining posture with God, we tend to do that. Once he gives us whatever we're hoping for or praying for or, or desiring, we then turn around and be like, man, look at my life. And we never keep up our side of the bargain because we just weren't meant to do that. And so not only is God's grace uh, his glory on display, not only is it him displaying how much he's for you, but it's his, it's his activity. He did that. So we don't have anything to do yet. We don't have a cosmic to-do list that we're trying to check off. How many just feel like that sometimes, don't we? Like just, gosh, there's so much pressure in, in, the, in life. Just, gosh, I'm just gonna need to check off a few more things. But no, this is God's activity. This is God's activity. There is literally nothing that you have done yet that made, him get, uh, that made you get his attention. Nothing you could do that would display how good you are in that. It's his activity. And salvation is not a reward for anything that you presented to him. And so that's really good news for the display the, the, about the fact that we're all jacked up, right? Like it's really good news because none of us have that reward but we all have this extension of grace. Now, now there's, there's this little caveat, this little moment here 
that I really, uh, like it really just helps us understand this a little bit more. Where, where Paul says, you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. See, a lot of times we kind of get this image that God is gifting you this, right? Certainly salvation is free and he's giving that to us through his son Jesus. But what he's saying here, what he's saying here when he says gift, it's not the type of gift that he gives you. It's actually the type of gift that we offer up in worship. And so it's kind of like this. You gotta put yourself in like a first century temple uh, or first century tabernacle. I know we have no clue what we're talking about when it comes to that, right? It's, it's like this, this church thing. Think, think about it, we're in this room and there's be like a big uh, altar right here and you'd have pastors and Levites and other people that are responsible for the, for the, for, for, uh, for the worship of the people and they would get all these animals and, uh, and start to prepare the sacrifice and that was the moment that they would be extending worship. That was their gift to God. But then think about it, he's kind of like standing off the side of the room, you watch in the middle, and out of nowhere comes God. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait. I'm, okay. And he gets up to the altar, and he gives a gift. What Paul's saying here is that this moment, he is giving the final gift, the final sacrifice, the final moment, that there's nothing else that we could offer that would, might make this world feel like it's ordered, that might make this, feel, this world feel less chaotic, that that was done through Jesus and his death and resurrection. See, this is God's gift because it's God's last and perfect and final sacrifice. It's God's gift of Jesus that satisfies all of this. It's kind of like this thing, you're kind of working for a debt to be paid off and the whole debt goes away. Has everyone paid a car off before? Or maybe a student loan? And you're like, now let me go trade it and get another debt. All right, that's how we roll. But it's that that deep sense of relief. God gives that gift and just satisfies it. If you live from that, your life changes. If you don't have anything, no cosmic checklist that you feel like you gotta check off, your life changes. Like really, it's, and it's, it's, it's almost like this, I mean I talk to people every single week after the gathering, and it's kind of like this, oh man, it's like there's just breath of fresh air that I have, and I don't know what it is. It's that, right there. You're experiencing for the first time this cosmic checklist that you feel like you have to do with all of your success and all of your status and all of your keeping up, like everything, making sure you got all the right kids, or like the, the kids are doing all the right things or whatever, all these little check marks that you got going on, it's like that whole thing is just satisfied. God's grace, God's gift, it's his activity. It's his work. And so we really have to start to think, what is going to be my major in interaction with God. How am I going to line myself up with him? Is it going to be off his activity or off my activity? And when we have a starting point for faith that's based off his activity, our whole life changes. Our whole life changes. And so God's grace, what is grace? God's grace is, is, is his announcement that he is for you. It's, it's this idea that his, this, this glory, that he's going to get the credit for this, and it's his activity, 
But then verse 10 really makes this change. And if you grew up in church, or if, whether or not you did, like if you, well, if you grew up in church, sometimes we stop reading this verse at verse 9. Sometimes we stop, we talk about this part, we, we forget kind of verse 10, where he says, okay, so for we, he says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so you have this understanding that he does save and he does work and he does change our lives. And it's from this understanding, now we interact with the, with the world. See, see, many of us were taught this whole, this whole concept of grace is kind of like God made this big deposit into a cosmic bank account. And like, you know, so there's like the Bank of America of the universe, right? And when we go to church, it's like putting our ATM card in that bank and getting some grace. All right, we got a little bit more grace today. All right, we, uh, we, we took communion or we got baptized. It's like putting your ATM in that card, uh, putting your ATM card in the, in the bank and getting some more grace. And we literally live our lives. Like, so like Sunday to Sunday to Sunday is like putting our ATM card in the, in the ATM and getting more grace. But that's, that's really not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is like God took the whole thing and put it in your bank account. And it's from that now we get to live life. It's not someone else's bank account. He says he united you with this whole idea. Like he gave it to you. And now you get to live with this whole new reality that you're, now you're, just, you're not just using someone else's money, but it's your money. And so not only is grace God's glory on display, not only is it his activity, not only is it him being for you, but it's fueling our response. See, grace isn't a bargaining chip. We don't have an ability to bargain with God, but we can respond to it. We can respond to it. And so I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you've never responded to this at all, and I pray that you would. I pray that you'd see the world completely different because of this whole concept called grace. But maybe for you, you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've actually never responded to grace either. See, we, we, we've been talking about this for the last couple of months, uh, but when we receive love, it has to move through us and flow through us. That's why we pray for one, this big, simple, yet bold prayer that says, God, give me one person to share your love with. I mean, we start our days with that, right? We start our days, we wake up, start our day, God, give me one person to share your love with today. And then we have this expectancy that God is actually going to answer that prayer. He loves answering that prayer. So God, give us one person to share your love with today. And for that, that's a response of grace. When you came in this morning, um, you would have, uh, on your seat, I don't have mine, on your seat was, a real, was a, an invite card to the Real Marriage series. And we're, we, we, we kind of did some uh, research on it. It was like about 70% of the people around our church have some sort of a marriage, are, are married and, uh, and, and our interaction, are interacting with this relationship in some way. And some of us are, are hoping to be married. Some of us have had different experiences with marriage. But what we want to do is say, God, give us your, give us your plan for, for what marriage might look like. 
Um, but we all have certain stigmas about this whole concept. Like we, we kind of present ourselves in different ways. And really what we're trying to do is get past a lot of that and, 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 and ask God, that God, give us a, a, a true sense of what this might be. Or really help us prepare for it or help us make sense about this major relationship that we have. And so when we respond to it, we can say, God, give us, give us one person to share your love with. And for us, that, that comes down to inviting people into a community that loves them and cares for them, and they can be introduced to a person uh, that loves them way more than anyone else could. And so with this, that, that's a great way to respond to the grace of God in your life by simply praying, God, give me one person to respond, uh, to, share, to share your love with. But for many of us, it might not, it, it could be in another way as well. And so when we feel this, when we understand the concept of grace, it will come up and overflow in some way. And for you, it could be some sort of a mission opportunity or serving. This invite card is a mission opportunity for you to invite them into this type of a community. But for maybe, maybe I, we're going to show you a story of a, of a girl named Lindsay. And Lindsay's a teacher in New York City. And, and she is really responding to the grace of God in her own life. When she was dead, God, God said, hey, you know what? I really want you to be a part of this whole thing. And gives her new life. And she begins to respond to it in this incredible way as she teaches in New York City. So let's watch this together. When I first moved to New York City, I thought I knew why I was coming here. It was going to be an adventure. I had my own agenda. I had no idea how much I would fall in love with the kids of the city and how much they would teach me about myself and change my life. I treasure my morning commutes on the subway. It's my time. Sometimes it's my only time with God. In those moments, I know his love for me, and I know that that's going to carry on throughout my day. And I know it's going to help me to do my job well. The Bronx is one of the toughest neighborhoods in the country. 75% of the people live below the poverty line. And where there's poverty, of course, there's going to be violence and sadness and strife, ugliness. Right in the middle of the Bronx is Middle School 223, where I'm a reading and writing teacher to sixth graders. It's where I spend my days every day. A lot of our kids at our school go home to shelters. They go home to homes where they're in charge. They see people get shot in front of their apartment door. Life has not been easy for them or kind to them. Morning. Good morning. Hey guys. Thanks for coming in quietly. Many of my students haven't been loved well. They've been abandoned. They've been promised things that have never come. They've been promised relationships with their fathers or mothers that have never happened. And so they're just worn. They're weathered and they don't trust love. On the first day of school, the first thing that I tell them is, I've been thinking about you all summer. Like, I love you already. You may not believe this, but you can't earn my love. 
you could make straight A's all year and have perfect behavior all year, or you can get detention three times a week and I'm gonna love you the same. And then I spend all year trying to prove it. So I want you to think back to Monday. We chose that one personal narrative that we're gonna publish and celebrate and put out there to the world. Who am I as a person? What do I really want people to know about who I am? Well, it wasn't until recently that I realized that God had been preparing me for this job, for these kids at the school right now. I grew up in Georgia, mostly at my grandmother's house because my mom and dad were divorced. And then when my dad got married, I felt like I wasn't good enough. He, he wanted me to be perfect. I just wasn't good enough anymore. But I know I don't need other people to say I'm okay anymore. I did that my whole life, and I think I'm finally done. So maybe now I can just be Lindsay, and if I make mistakes, then oh well. I'm not only as good as what I do. Growing up, and especially now, even as an adult, I still long for that love and acceptance, and God has shown that to me and given that to me so that I can go and give these kids the same love and acceptance that they have always wanted, too. Over time, I really do believe this classroom becomes a safe haven for them, a place where they feel accepted and they know they're going to be safe and it's comfortable. I think God loves these kids so much, more than I could ever hope to love them. I think He wants them to rest and to be happy. I think He wants to heal their hearts. Every day they walk out of my classroom, and at the end of the year, they walk out of my classroom forever. It's so hard. It's hard not knowing what lies ahead for them or what type of choices they'll make, and I just have to rest. I've done everything I could do. I've loved them the best that I can. And my hope is that they'll figure out that God loves them so much more than I ever could.